Hello and welcome to All Change Please, our brand new podcast about leaving a big city behind and starting afresh somewhere new. We are Jane and Jean Anne, journalists and friends who enjoyed our own love affairs in London before settling down with less racy, more reliable locations. Jane to Bexley and Kent and Jean Anne to our hometown of Derry. Each episode, we speak to fellow city quitters about why they swiped left on the metropolis, how they took the leap, and what their new life's been like. Because with searches for homes outside the capital surging, we know it's something a lot of you are considering too. I'm so excited about our guest this week, Jeannie, as I was obsessed with the show that made him famous. That's right. We are chatting to the original Big Brother winner, Craig Phillips. He won the show back in 2000 when um, reality TV was still in its infancy. And that was a series, I don't know if you remember, Nasty Nick, Anna, the skateboarding former nun. Um, I was still in my teens when it started. I can't believe it was nearly 20 years ago. I know I just split up with a long time boyfriend and moved from north to south London which if you live in London that's a big deal and I remember I had to use my dial-up internet <laughs> to watch the live stream of the house because that was like revolutionary a live stream of the house and it kind of made me feel like I had housemates oh, such a sad <laughs> <laughs> I actually remember one summer working in London my job was to um, sit at my desk with headphones on watching that live feed and coming up with news stories if anything happened yeah. which was it was just as soul destroying as it sounds of course Craig's a, a bricklayer by trade um, yeah. and he's carved out a really successful career as a tv DIY expert I think he had to travel a lot for work and filming but he's yeah. now built his dream home in Liverpool so I'm hoping he has some advice for anybody listening who's thinking of either buying a doer upper or just getting their home ready to put yeah. on the market. Um, he also has a channel with his wife on Instagram, Laura, called Mr. and Mrs. DIY. Yeah, I don't know how they do DIY and don't fall out, do you? I mean, I, I fall out with my husband over any aspect of DIY, so that would not want to work for me. Um, <laughs> I'm also hoping he's going to share some insider BB gossip. You know, it must have been crazy coming out of that house and coming back into normal life. It just no one knew what to expect did they it's going to be really interesting to see his experiences definitely so um let's get started craig you're joining us um in formby near liverpool and there are some noisy uh tree surgeons in the background is that right there certainly are yeah just over my shoulder outside our office window our neighbors have trees which are probably about 150 foot in the air and they've got <laughs> uh, a, a tree surgeon up there as we speak dangling around chopping away with his chainsaw so any any crunches or cracks or noises in the background it's not my old joints that's for sure it's uh, these old trees that are coming down Sorry, okay, obviously you're now living near Formby in your your dream home but this show is all about your journey from from you know, your previous existences to where you are now um and where were you living immediately before going into the big brother house uh, before the big brother house i lived in a town called newport shropshire there's about 12, 13 Newports in the whole of the UK. Yeah. But this particular one, Shropshire, is in the Midlands area. And I was there for 10 years before Big Brother. Yeah. Uh, my mum owned uh, a, a small country pub there. And uh, she moved there back in about 1988, I think it was. And I moved there in about 1990 and yeah. set up my building company. And I had a good 10 years there before Big Brother. So quite, was it quite a rural area? Yeah, it was a nice small kind of um, country-type village that we lived in. Yeah. And anywhere you, you go, 
within uh, half a mile out of the village, you went into the country. So yeah. there was plenty of yeah. farmers' fields around us. Yeah, it was nice. Some some lovely areas in Shropshire. Very much didn't lose the Scottish accent, though, Craig. I I haven't quite lost my accent. No, I always kind of kept. I had properties in Liverpool uh, beforehand, and even working in Shropshire, I would race back and forth and go and see my friends and things at the weekend. So I managed to keep the Liverpool accent a little bit. So you sort of swapped rural living for Big Brother Studios uh, and the, the madness of the house there. Um, when you came out, was it like a whirlwind of hotels or, or did you have a base straight away? Was it, what was it like at life after there? Firstly, moving into that Big Brother house yeah. was a complete change for me. One, I'd never lived with anybody before. Oh, so, really? You know, besides my family, yeah, yeah. I hadn't even been to university where you live with other people in share homes. Um, so that was a big culture shock for me. And of course, being in there for 64 days, not knowing what was going on on the outside of the world, uh, was quite pressurising. And then to come out, to come out to the kind of explosion of what happened with the TV programme, it was a whirlwind. Then I didn't have a base to live in. Uh, I didn't go home for 97 days after leaving the Big Brother house. It was 97 days before I actually went home. I changed hotel every night, every single night changing hotels. And that, and that, and that wasn't easy because, I, yeah, because I wasn't traveling alone. I'd have press officers with me, sometimes camera crews. We had bodyguards, we had chauffeurs. So there was always a big entourage, you know, so it'd be three or four hotel rooms every night, you know, as we traveled around. So logistics of getting places and moving around wasn't easy coming out after the Big Brother house. Difficult as well, Craig, because I imagine if I was locked in a Big Brother house for several months, the first thing I would want to do is go home and get in my own bed afterwards. So it, maybe it was difficult for you to get that sense of, of homecoming afterwards. Absolutely, yes. You know, the, the, there wasn't the option there really to, to go home. And if I did go home, there wasn't, wasn't kind of much there for me. You know, I kind of lived on my own. So the excitement of all everything, what was going on, it was just, just a whirlwind of a journey, really. So Although I wanted to come home to my, to Newport Town and I wanted to go to Liverpool and see friends and family, everywhere I did go, it was quite a spectacle anyway. You know, if I turned up in Shropshire, the radio station would put an event on and there'd be a thousand people there waiting with the mayor and all sorts of things. So it was never really like, hey, you know, come home, put your feet up, put the yeah. telly on, turn your phone off, that type of thing. It just, it wasn't an option for me at all. Crazy. I was so surprised to learn that you actually rented a room from Nasty Nick, who we all know from the <laughs> Big Brother house, is, you know, telling all sorts of lies and all sorts of deception. I, I knew Nick more than most people I knew in London, you know, at that time, because <laughs> I'd spent the time in the house with him. And of course, straight after the house, we did do some personal appearance together, some work together, and, uh, you, you know, we chatted quite a lot on the phone. He was also travelling around with bodyguards, and we, we would chat quite often, uh, quite late at night, really, when we got to our hotels, we'd have a a catch up about what we'd done that day and what we were doing the next day and what what my problem was is with traveling every day and changing hotels every day a lot of the time we were we were getting flights to places we're getting helicopters and things places carrying your clothing and stuff around wasn't easy you know and i did have a big entourage and they, they were getting fed up with carrying boxes after boxes after bags so i needed a base in london where i could generally store stuff every place you went to They'd expect you to be wearing a different clothes than what you wore the hour before or the day before, you know. <laughs> for having a base for me to put my things there and then every couple of weeks go back and just swap all the suitcases, swap the dirty suitcases to the clean suitcases. That was kind of what Nick's house was used for. And then when we didn't have 
you know, work or major things on. You know, I did get to stay there two or three nights out of out of a month or two, you know, that I had stayed in. Sometimes Nick would be home, sometimes Nick wouldn't be home. Whereabouts in London was it, Craig? It was, um, oh, what's the PPP? Putney. Is it Putney? Nice. Yes, yeah. Putney, yes, yeah, yeah, Putney, nice. yeah. It's nice, yeah. nice area. So did he leave all sorts of notes around the house for you, like you used to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kept thinking to myself, why is he writing Craig on there, leaving it under the bread bin? <laughs> and then I found Anna's name, I was thinking, does Anna live here as well? <laughs> Maybe it was ones that he couldn't smuggle in there with him in the house. <laughs> it's quite, when you talk now about those big brother times it was so crazy being in the first one wasn't it because no one had any expectations about what it was going to be like and you're talking there like you're a rock star going on tour for like months we, and months it's crazy we were, we were treated like rock stars you know when when we came out when big brother first came around when i heard about big brother and wrote off to the production company and you know asked them to consider me as an applicant sort of thing nobody had ever heard of it whatsoever i mentioned it to a few of my pals and of course, it hadn't been out in England. We didn't know what it was. So we went in there with very little expectations, you know, and we just thought, and I, and I generally sat in that house every day on that couch thinking to myself, how on earth can you make a TV programme out of, out of this? We're sitting here doing nothing. We're talking rubbish with one another. And I couldn't have been any wronger, you know. Obviously, they cleverly edited the programme. They made an entertaining show which captured the nation. It super exceeded any expectations Channel 4 had for it. And then all of a sudden, this reality TV format was born. And we came out like A-list celebrities, yeah. you know. I had many, many conversations with really, really big-name celebrities who was giving me lots of good advice, lots of friendly tips yeah. and things. And, you know, in the conversations I was having with them, they spent their entire life building up to that point to raise their profile to the highest they can possibly get it, you know. And then all of a sudden, I've kind of felt like, well, I did not. And I went on this show, just had a, a mess around in there, you know, <laughs> and came out and I'm getting the recognition that they're getting. You know, yeah. I'm the one on the front page of the newspapers and all these celebrities are jumping on the back of my publicity. I think for the public, what, what, what I felt and talking to other celebrities was, it was a lot easier for them to come and approach me as, a, as opposed to go and approach um, you know, Robbie Williams or the Beckhams or something, because they they just know Robbie from on stage or, you know, chat shows or something like that. They don't know him what he talks about while he's making a cup of tea and he's slouching <laughs> around the house with. So for the public, they felt as if they knew me really personally. They just had that connection to hearing me talking about probably nonsense, you know, on the couch there every <laughs> night. Um, but they could relate to that and they just felt that I'm easy to approach, you know, they know me well and they chat to me as if they know me as a, know. as a friend, you know, and that was quite strange for me because I'd yeah. never met them, you know, and it's kind of like, hiya Craig, how are you, okay, and come over and shake your hand and you think, <laughs> do I know them from school, do I know them from somewhere I used to work? No, nope, they've seen me on the telly, that's right, of course. <laughs> After all that madness sort of um, settled down a bit, you went to live in Birmingham City Centre next, is that right, working for the BBC? I did, yes. Yes, yeah. In in the new year in 2000, we started working for the BBC and I did a live show called uh, House Call. It run for about 14 weeks. So they would put us in apartment blocks then with, with all the rest of the presenters in there, as you can save us staying in hotels. It was kind of working out as a base for us then. So I would say that first four years of coming out out of Big Brother, I probably spent about 70% of my time living in Birmingham. Did that make it harder to make it feel like it was your home then? 
Uh, yes, all of a sudden, nothing really felt home for me because that turned into a kind of a bit of a work base. Although they were beautiful apartments and certainly would make a beautiful home. I liked my time in there, but it just felt like work for me, really. And then when I had a few days off, I would either come home and go work on my, my own cottage as well was was not in the best of shape in, in Newport, Shropshire. I've been doing a lot of work on it before the actual house. So when I didn't have any TV contracts and some personal appearances went on for a few weeks, you know, I would jump in there and then just jump on the tools and work on my own my own properties then. And I was also buying more properties from Liverpool from auctions, which were kind of very derelict. You know, some of them didn't even have roofs on them. Um, so they needed quite an extensive amount of work. Craig, what was it about Liverpool that lured you back? Because obviously, you know, you mentioned Shropshire, you stayed in yeah. London, Birmingham, but something about Liverpool called you back. Well, one, because it's the best city in the entire world, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't I want to come back there? Um, I mean, it's, it's where my home roots were, you know. I, I lived uh, there till I was like 18 and a half, 19 years of age. So I've got school friends here who I'm still very good friends with today. Um, I, I, I love the place. I love the city. I love the people about it. So there was always a magnetic pull to be back in Liverpool. I have had my fair share of about, what would we say, six or seven years of living more or less in the city centre which worked for me it served its purpose for me in that time of my life I wasn't yeah. married didn't have any children uh, and then of course when I met Laura four or five years ago we decided then let's move out of the city a little bit and then um, go towards Formby area and quite ironically Laura my wife lived London for the, the, the last 12 years before that before I met her and then she wasn't that keen, let's say, on moving back to Liverpool because she was from Southport, which is also oh, North Liverpool. And yeah. it's only about, ironically, four or five miles away from the cottage I had in Formby. Oh. <laughs> yes, yeah, so she ended up moving back in, in, in there with me, um, you know, before we built our, our dream house now that we're, we're kind of settled in now. So we started this podcast to help those people who are thinking of leaving the city behind and it seems more people are now selling their houses since COVID hit and the stamp duty has been abolished. You've teamed up with Purple Bricks to show people some easy ways to make their house sellable. Can you tell us about one of those? Absolutely. If you're thinking to sell your house because they haven't been able to do lots of internal viewings at the moment, uh, people are purchasing house from curbside viewings, which, ah, you know, is yeah. is... is it's, it's quite surprising, but it is moving with the times. So my opinion is you've got to have the facial features of your house looking great. One of the videos we did to try and encourage people to make their houses look better at first impressions is the front door. Mm. It means a lot, you know. I've been in thousands of houses doing makeover shows. You know, when I turn up to that house with the rest of the crew, etc., I haven't been in that house. Someone else has been there and done the recce inside. When I walk up that pathway or their driveway, I look at that front door. And I take a gauge of the condition of that front door. And already I'm making an assumption of what the condition of that house is like. And I was quite right most of the times. If they had quite a poor, shoddy, you know, let's say not maintained front door, or it was an old UPVC one, they may have got done in the 80s or the 90s, <laughs> and it's gone practically yellow now with the sunlight. The rest of this house inside is probably going to be the same. And most of the time I was right. People selling their house, if it's, it, it's right that people are buying a house from that first impressions from outside. It's a key point to get that front door to look great. We'd already done some previous successful videos in the past that I've got millions of views on there where I, I would show people on a UPVC door where they think 
Well, you can't paint a UVC mm. one. Well, you can now. There's products out there. There's, there's chalk paints, chalk and mineral paints. And believe it or not, stick fantastically to a UPVC door. Mm. So I said, I'll do you a little video, show people how to clean it up properly with sugar soap. Give it a gentle sand down with a little bit of wire wool or soft sandpaper and then apply this paint on an hour or so's work. You can make this door look absolutely fantastic. And that's something and then, most of us can do, even if we've got limited DIY skills. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 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 Anybody can pick up a yeah. paintbrush. Anyone can pick up a paint spray. If you're trying to sell your house, it is about making it look the best it can. And I generally believe, and I, I tell people all this time, your home is probably one of the biggest investments you ever make on it. It's your responsibility to look after it, maintain it, and make it look the best. Even if you're not selling the house and you make it look the best, you'll feel better living in your home knowing it looks nice and it feels nice and you've maintained it well, you know. You've created this dream home now in Form B um, and you've talked about all the work you've done on, on your own places and lots of other people's homes. Is it more stressful when you're creating a home for you and your family to live in than it is as a, as a sort of, you know, a renovation job that you're going to sell on yes it was actually you know it's quite renowned when you'll have seen lots of programs where people build their own dream house mm. and of course it runs over budget and it runs over time <laughs> but what i found on all my developments that i was doing for for buy to lets and my tenants and things in the past i've tried to be more stricter and keep it you know a little bit better than basic on the finishing touches in there mm. but try and keep it to budget because that's a business you know and i have to revert it into a mortgage and then pay it off over 10 20 years what i found when i was building my own house which isn't it isn't like a normal house to be honest to try and give people a bit of a vision of it a normal house can sometimes often have four corners whether it's a square or a rectangular shaped house this has 18 corners so it's what? quite an unusual shape and size, I know you're looking quite shocked. Wow. 18 corners. So <laughs> Sounds amazing. I, I, a little bit more to the story. I bought a building plot that had planning permission for two five-bedroom houses. And then when I put a new application in to the planning department, it was to keep the footprint of the two five-houses, but build one big house, link it together, add some more on it, and build a television studio and a workshop on the opposite end or, or a detached away from the house. So needless to say, it took two and a half years to get it through plans. It wasn't a quick and easy fix, that's oh. for sure. Lots of changes. But what I, what I finally got out of it was a very unusual design and shaped house, which meet, met all the criteria that, that I wanted. We wanted lots of bedrooms to get lots of friends and family to come and stay. I needed a big office to work from. We wanted a big gym because the wife and I train a lot. Uh, we wanted a games room and a bar room. We wanted balconies on split levels on areas. I wanted to build the back end of the house, a V-shape, so it's south-facing, so we get the benefits of the sun coming up on both balconies and all the back end. So it was a complex design and build, and I built, designed it all myself and built it all myself with the, the help of some builders helping me on it. Going back to trying to, was it more stressful, your question? Yes, it was, because, <laughs> you know, it's going to be your own f forever home. I'm building a house that I've never built like this before. Yes, of course, it run over on time. Of course, it run over on budget massively, <laughs> you know, because you get halfway through and then <clears throat> the wife will say, why can't we have that there? Well, that's not in the drawer as well. Let's alter them and let's do that. So then all of a sudden, another £10,000 spend on that. Then another 10000 So all of a sudden, it just becomes this big black hole of cost just keeps spiraling <laughs> down and down and down. 
And then, of course, I'm going more greyer at the sides. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the problem I had was what we're racing against was um, we started the build and Laura wasn't pregnant. And then, of course, Laura was pregnant and Nelly came along when we we're halfway through the build. So our aim was to try and get it finished and try and get moved in there, you know, before, before Nelly was born. I'm juggling a number of balls. You know, we've got a media career, which we've got a lot of sponsors to please. We've got a lot of online videos we've got to do. A lot of personal appearance to do, a lot of data trade shows and um, TV sets, TV studios to work at, you know. So I'm trying to juggle all them balls. We have about 50 tenants at the moment in a lot of our properties. So I'm trying to keep all of these plates spinning. <laughs> wow. i build, build my own house, which was, was, was very challenging. It was really, really challenging. And yes, it, it was very stressful. It was enjoyable at times when you see big progress. But you always had that added stress of time, cost, weather, you know, all them things get in the way of a new build. And you've got another uh, little one on the way now as well, Kate. <laughs> yes, we have. You're going to need got, all the uh, bedrooms. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. We're going to need all them bedrooms and games rooms. That's right, for sure. Yeah. Nelly's 17 months old now. So, uh, Lord's second pregnancy now. We are 23 weeks in. Ooh. So we're looking at an end of November, um, early December, little boy arriving. Oh, yes, no, exciting times. One of each then. I suppose um, statistically you'd probably fall into the slightly older dad category. Um, yes, <laughs> I am. I'm knocking on the door of 50 next year. <laughs> I wondered, are you glad though that you had all that life experience? You had Big Brother, you had living in all those different places. You know, before you had kids, I you've am. got a lot to to bring to the experience? Absolutely, yeah. I, w I wouldn't change it for a world. You know, I would say I would say half a dozen of my friends had children at an earlier stage, you know. Some of them, you know, they wouldn't change it for a world. It, it is what it is for them. They had their ch children younger. For me, my life and my kind of careers and how it panned out for me probably wouldn't have panned out the way it was if I'd have had children at a younger age, maybe. I, I jumped in deep with my building construction company before Big Brother. You know, I was lucky enough to win Big Brother and that's last 20 years. You know, I still struggle to get time off now from that Big Brother. And I've loved, I can honestly say I've loved more or less every minute of it. I've had the most weird, wonderful experiences, <laughs> some that money can't even buy, you know. And I, and I, I don't regret any, any of them at all. But what was always a conscious little niddler in the back of my mind, you know, I didn't want to be an old man while my kids were, were, were born and while my kids were teenagers and things like that. Um, I, I do, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll blow my own trumpet here, but I, I believe and I am a fit and strong, active, you know, 48-year-old, you know, I can still do triathlons and marathons and I can still work 100 hours a week and it's not a problem, I can still manage a good family life, you know, with Laura, we get time together. Laura works with me, you know, doing our Mr. Mm. and Mrs. DIY stuff. We built a studio at our house and a workshop, so I didn't have to race all around the country anymore, fulfilling my commitments with my sponsors. I can do it all here from my doorstep at home in my own time and things. So I've tried to be a little bit smart about it. I will always keep myself fit and healthy to the best I can. Um, you know, it, it is tiring, obviously, having a, a new young kid and you, she, you obviously Nelly waking you up in the night and things like that. But you just we adapt you. to it, I think, whatever age. Yeah, you hear it too. We You've got hear children you. yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah we know. It's not, <laughs> it's not easy. And all I've, all I've done is then just work a little bit less and support Laura and obviously Nelly. 
and um, and it works. It works for us, you know. And when baby number two comes along, you know, I'll take December and January off work, and basically I'll kind of be around for that first couple of months every day and night for the support Laura will need. And and I want to do that, of course, as well. And then maybe in the February March time, we'll start doing a little bit more work in the studio here at home and just not racing around the country as much. I don't know, I'm, I'm looking forward to now kind of, not saying semi-retiring, but take my foot off the gas a little bit more on the work side of things and just spending a bit more time around, you know, the beautiful house we work hard to build and have enough family time and support and Laura. That's lovely. I love the fact that you and Laura have this, you know, own DIY Instagram, Mr. and Mrs. DIY yes. TV. My hubby and I literally don't do DIY together anymore. We nearly divorced over an Ikea flat back <laughs> when they're together. Yeah. So how do you do DIY together without falling out? <laughs> I need your tips. <laughs> when we met and, and, and we, we kind of got together, I was like, you know, how are your day DIY skills? And she said, well, my mum was an art teacher at school. So arty and crafty side of things, I grew up with it and it's, second nature to me and she happens to be really good at it you know anyone arty and crafty you get a flair for design you see shapes colors textures and how they work and how you can think out the box you know not just building something on a table or in your you know on a picture or whatever but actually doing something for in a house or a garden so she had this great flair she kind of got where i was coming from doing makeovers and how it had to look on screen and our picture, but then have the practicality side of it. She understood it really, really well. So then I started introducing Laura to kind of power tools that of course she hasn't used before from circular saws to paint spraying machines, jigsaws, and, and all of a sudden just showing it. She's very calm and cool with them as well. Not scared of them just straight away, picking them up and using them very easily and very quickly. So I was like, right, well, I'm going to teach you a little bit more of the construction side. So I was just started teaching them to a bit of a different level. You know, well, let's hang a door. Let's build this out of pallets. Let's break them up and denail them and do that. And she just loved getting her hands dirty and getting stuck into them. You know, I've been doing that, obviously, all, all most of my life. And then Laura was just like, we need to work together. We need to kind of create a, a platform like Mr. and Mrs. DIY. And I just hear her was just like, that's it. That's the name, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. DIY. So in fairness, we haven't done as much as we would like to do. And that's just mainly the reason Laura got pregnant, of course, with Nelly, and we were building a house. So we haven't been able to dedicate as much time as we could do it. We've been working on some more other videos, which are going to be coming out soon. And we started that Mr. and Mrs. DIY group up, and it's just basically exploding. It's brilliant. Now everyone's becoming part of this kind of fan base with us, sharing all their tips, and we're sharing ours. It's Thank you so much for joining yeah. us, Craig. And um, oh, my we pleasure. really appreciated your practical tips and, and you sharing yeah. your story as well. And I know that my you know pleasure. a lot of listeners obviously are listening to this who might be considering moving away from a city or you know making a big change yes. like that. And I wondered, would you ever go back to London or Birmingham to live? Ooh, I've got to say, now at my age and with children, mm. I know I probably don't want to live in the city centre of, of any city centre. I like the outdoor space. Uh, you know, we like bike riding and things like that. I think the outskirts for any city is, is, is for me. Can't see us ever doing that now. No, no, definitely not. And I mean, whether this is going to be our forever home or not, I don't know. My problem is I get itchy feet and I think in another couple of years, I'm going to be wanting to, I want the challenge of building another yeah. dream home, you know, and, and, and I know that's always going to be in me. So whether we stay 
on the outskirts of Liverpool or not, or, or end up on the outskirts of another city. I don't know. Laura's brother and sister live on the outskirts of London. Now, they've got no intentions of moving away from London there. I know Laura would like to be a lot closer to her brother and sister and their children and things. So, who knows? Watch this space. <laughs> Watch this space, yes. <laughs> well, I know there's a there's a house, an empty house on the outskirts of London um, in Elstree and Borehamwood. The big brother house uh, is currently uh, unoccupied, if you go back there. I'm not sure I'd have enough uh, bedrooms, would it? <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, definitely. I can safely say I will never be moving back into that house in Borehamwood ever again as long as I live. I think it's been demolished anyway. It's gone. It was on an island. Oh. It probably would have made a great little house if you built a proper structural house. Yeah. Remember, that house was only a temporary fix, yeah. you know, and it, they didn't build it in any intentions thinking it would go and see the first three, three years show out of there. It only had to yeah. plan permission for yeah. the, the 12 uh, weeks or so, you know, you know, that we were in there for. Yeah. Mad. Yeah. Madness, isn't it? Madness. Madness, yeah, yeah. You'd want to give that swimming pool a good clean, though, before you <laughs> delved in oh. there. Oh, God. I get, the, I get the diggers in there and dig it and get it out. <laughs> <laughs> Build a new one. Oh, thank you so much, Craig. You've been a wonderful guest. It's brilliant having you on. Thanks for all your tips. Anytime. Thanks so much to Craig for chatting to us and uh, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and maybe got some practical tips as well from him. Now, we've been asking listeners to get in touch with their city coding dilemmas and Emma has been in touch. Let's hear what she has to say. Please leave your message after the tone. So my big question is knowing the right time to actually move out of the city to start a new life with your family. It's... um. It's, it's such a tricky thing to decide. I've, I've got three small children, um, a husband who before lockdown had to be in the office in London five days a week. But since lockdown, one of the lovely benefits has been that he will only have to be there two or three days a week. And we've just always, always dreamed about living by the sea, um, but just didn't think it'd be possible with my husband's job. Um We've been doing so many lovely staycation holidays lately and um, fallen in love with a million places and know that we actually could do it. It's just that we want to do it at the right time for the children because two out of three of my children are at school. So you worry about doing it at the right or wrong time in their school years, if there is a right or a wrong time. And just, yeah, just doing the right thing for the whole family, really. So any advice would be amazing. Thank you. Oh, thanks for that question, Emma. It's a great one. And I think there's different paths to knowing when you're ready to, to leave the city. Um, I'm a little bit more like Craig in that it happened really gradually for me. I was living in Clapham uh, with my best friend Pippa and I met my um, now husband and he lived in South East London. So I moved there. And then when it was time to buy a house, it was what can we afford for our money? Well, a tiny little flat in East Dulwich or on a Oak. Or we can move actually into Kent and, and get a bigger house. And that's how we did it. It was very gradual. So it didn't feel like a big ripping off the plaster and, oh, it's a whole new life. But it was very different for you, wasn't it, Jeannie? Yeah, we we moved, um, obviously moved country from, from London back to Derry. And, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a, a bigger geographical move than yours, Jane. But I suppose in some, in some ways, you, when you know, you know, 
but in other ways I feel for you Emma because it's a huge decision when you are so settled somewhere and you've built that life for yourself and your family your kids are in school you know it is a bigger wrench um, uh, to take them out once they are in school I was wondering if maybe you could visit the area you're you're thinking of moving to in the colder months in winter maybe and see what you think of it then because in summer obviously everything looks so beautiful um in the sunshine but I would imagine the winters can be longer in those kind of coastal locations um although I know my own kids love the beach all year round um you know it could be pouring with rain and they'd still be raring to go but yeah I think it's worth kind of visiting it at a different time of year um just to see what the what the feeling is then. Definitely. I grew up in a coastal town. I grew up in uh, Torbay and it's a very different buzz. There's a real buzz about those sort of seaside places in the summer and when it comes to the winter, it, it doesn't have it. I mean, I'm, I'm like your kids. I love the sea all year round. I've even swum in the sea in, in the colder months. But it's also looking at maybe are the right job prospects there? You know, what are the schools like? And I think those things are really important. <laughs> Boring, but really important. So I think another good thing that a friend of mine did is, you know, she got to know some local people, got to ask questions to get a better idea of it. Because when you go to a seaside town or a town that's open to visitors in the summer, a lot of it is closed down in the winter. So there's not as Lots many of things. sort of um, forums now, isn't there, Jane? Yeah. There's, you know, Facebook groups or local Hopefully. forums for areas. And I'm sure people are only too happy to help advise you on things like that. Um, but I, I don't blame you for considering moving closer to nature especially after lockdown I think a lot of people are in the same boat um I was reading a piece on the BBC News website um this week that apparently remote parts of Scotland are experiencing a real sales boom post lockdown wow. and apparently buyers are coming from as far afield as Hong Kong so wow. you know, okay the Scottish Highlands might be a bit of a stretch but you're not the only one that's that's considering a big life change like that I don't think I could go remote as that could you no, I just don't think I could handle the midges up there. No. <laughs> yeah. And also, I do need to go and get a coffee every so often. I mean, how long? You know, where's your nearest coffee shop in, in, in the Isles of Arran? <laughs> you know, it's like, and will it be really good coffee? I think it might be worth listening um, for any listeners considering making that move to somewhere like the coastal areas. Our first episode with um, Jane's very good friend, Bex, um, Rebecca Martin, is all about moving to the seaside. So that's that's definitely one to listen yeah. to if, if that's something you're considering. Um, and we'll also be talking later this series to Maggie Malloy. She's an Irish illustrator and presenter um, of a show on Irish TV called Cheap Irish Homes. She's on a mission to find very old, very empty, disused really houses old. in the Irish countryside that are really going for a song. They're super cheap and um, you know they're a great option for people that are priced out of the city. So keep an ear out for her uh, later in the series. And, um, and yeah, Emma, just take a bit of time think about it but go with your gut as well I say you know if it is something that you think is best for you and your family just do it once you've done your research yeah and maybe sometimes just writing it in black and white the pros and cons you know that always helps me you know what are the pros of moving away what are the cons and and sometimes it just makes it feel more real I think when you see it like that what's the one thing you miss the most about London most genius oh I suppose for us you know family over there and and fr- the friends that we made um yeah. like technology is brilliant but you definitely miss seeing them but I think everybody's missing seeing their friends and family yeah. at the minute uh, we can't really 
you know, none of us can go and hug people that we that we miss at the minute. So, yeah. yeah, I know it's actually given us a, all a taste of what it's like not to live in a city, hasn't it? Lockdown. Mm. It's uh, what do you miss most about London, Jane? I mean, I'm lucky that I can be in London in like uh, 45 minutes, but I do miss that. 24-hour culture not that I even go and partake in it much these days because I have a child and I need my sleep but just knowing that you know you can go to a bar till two three in the morning and get home really easily <laughs> was a lovely thing and now it involves a really expensive uber or staying over at someone's house and I think I'm, I miss that um, and if I moved it even further away I would miss the galleries and the theatres and I'm missing all them now. You know, I, I can't wait for this to return. Well, let's oh. hope, that Emma, that you find a solution. And if you do move, please get in touch with us. Yeah, let us know how it goes. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. Uh, this episode, uh, we've really enjoyed having you. And we'll be back in a fortnight's time with another study cutting uh, episode for you. And we've got a brilliant guest. And um, keep an eye on our Twitter page to find out more about that. In the meantime, please review, subscribe and share this podcast if you enjoyed it. It really helps us out. And we'd love to hear from you if you've got a city quitting dilemma you'd like us to discuss on the show. You can find us at Twitter at allchangepod or email at allchangepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>